Kia ora everyone, welcome to Seeds Podcast. This is Stephen Mo speaking, and this is a special one-off episode where we're going to be hearing about an initiative which is being led by Community Networks Aotearoa. So this is from a live session that I had with Roz Rice, who's the executive officer there, as well as Dr. Jane Horan, who's helping out with the research. And the subject we're really diving into is whether banking could be better for for-purpose organizations. If you want to find out more, then in the show notes, there's a link where you can provide information about stories you have about dealing with banks. And hopefully all of this will help to make things better. Now let's get straight into this session. Hey, it's wonderful to welcome you here virtually gathering across the country. And um, before I hit record, we were typing in the weather in the chat. And so I know that we've got people from all over, South Island, North Island, all the big cities, small cities. It's great to see that there's interest in this topic. And the topic is really focusing on banking for for-purpose organizations. And we're going to be talking about a lot about that. And we would love to hear from you as well. Um, Jane and Roz and I are going to be mainly speaking in the first half of this but then we will be opening it up for questions or comments. So I know you know how to use the chat function because you've told me the weather where you are. So as we're going through, um, feel free to use the chat to type in any questions that you've got, any comments, any thoughts. Let's make this interactive um, and it will be more interesting for us as well to be able to see. Um, so I wanna start and open um, with a, a big shout out to Community Networks Aotearoa. They're the ones who are leading this work on um, what would better banking look like for for-purpose organizations. I'm simply along for the ride. <laughs> I had a conversation with Roz and, and she asked if I could help facilitate this discussion. Um, so a, a real shout out to Community Networks Aotearoa and the work they're doing in leading this space. So I'm gonna hand over to Roz in a minute um, and she's gonna explain just a little bit of the context, what it is that's brought us here today. Um, and then also we're gonna be bringing in Dr. Jane Horan, who's doing some of the research and collating some of the responses that are being um, provided to some of the um, surveys. So that's kind of how it's gonna go. Um, we're gonna keep this as interactive as possible with three of us, we'll have some back and forth. Um, but we'll also be looking at the chat and seeing, is there any um, comments or questions that we'll be able to come back to? So, um, Roz, better banking. I'd love to hand over to you and let you carry the torch. How did this project start? What is it all about? Over to you. Okay, um, every few months, a group of our membership up in the North Island meet together and we usually go to those meetings. And at the last meeting that our membership had, uh, the issue of how many NGOs are having real trouble uh, dealing with their banks at the moment came up from everyone. And there was a decision made that they would form a subcommittee and uh, we've got some of those people sitting here. Hello to Liz and others. Um, that, um, and that we would lead the research on their behalf and um, look into what is actually happening and why it's happening. And uh, so the groups that are, were behind us to begin with were ANCAD, um, which is Auckland North um, Community and Development out in the North Shore, Community Waitakere, Community Waikato, Social Link, that's uh, where Liz's works, uh, Taupo Council of Social Services, I think I saw Andrew, there he is, and um, <clears throat> we were also backed as we started doing this work, we've got some other organisations backing the work, which includes the Citizens Advice Bureau New Zealand, uh, FINS, which is Funding Information New Zealand, and Aussie New Zealand, which is an organisation that umbrellas staff associations in Australia and New Zealand are behind us as well at the moment. So, uh, we've got a lot of people actually pushing behind us and we thought that the first thing we needed to do was um, actually do some research. So also big thanks here to the J.R. McKenzie Trust and to the Todd Foundation who joined together and jointly funded us to hire Jane as our researcher. So 
that's how it all started. And it started quite small, actually, just going, this is a problem and everyone's talking about it. And uh, you'd go to a meeting and you'd say to people, how many of you have had problems changing your signatories after your AGM? And just about everyone in the meeting would start groaning and clutching their heads and going, oh, my God, it's been three months or whatever. And we realised that this has got really big. Now, just backing that a little bit is to say that CAB have been doing some wonderful work on digital exclusion. They've done such great work on how digital exclusion is affecting people, and that's in the banking sector as well that they actually managed to have a debate in Parliament with all the parties regarding that issue and they're continuing to work on it. What we found, however, was the biggest issue that was affecting the banks was the Anti-Money Laundering and uh, the Countering Financing of Terrorism Act. And this is an act held by the Ministry of Justice. And it's an international legislation that came through from America after 9-11. And... Uh, the way the banks are interpreting this act is at the extreme end of extreme risk. They are saying this, we don't, we're, they're very risk averse, and we all want our banks to be risk averse. So I do want to say at this point and that we are looking for a win-win with banks. We're not looking out to bash banks over the head. We'd like to have conversations. We'd like to see how we can work within the um within the legislation and possibly even get some changes to the legislation. So it's grown very big and uh, we hope to achieve at the end, as I say, a win-win where the banks can work with our community sector and the banks can understand our community sector. One of the things we've realised over time is that actually the banks don't seem to have a real grasp of who we are and what we are and how big we are and how much we contribute financially. And um, we think that a bit of um, information about our sector going to the banks also would be really helpful for them to get a better grasp on how risky we are or aren't, and also how much money we pour into them. So that's a quick overview of how we started, who's backing us, who's funding us, and what we hope to achieve. That's great. It's really helpful. And I'm I'm glad to see that there's so many different backers as well. Well, it's a you know, it's not mm. just one group or one organization. No. This is almost can I use the word movement? <laughs> because Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight or nine organizations at the moment and all big ones. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And I think the the turnout today, like there's even more people have signed up, but they weren't able to join us, but they'll watch this later. And I'm sure it's going to get spread because I can personally attest to this is a pain point. Um, I, I help people set up charities. And sometimes I have to tell them setting up the charity and becoming registered, that's just the easy part. <laughs> Try getting a bank account. And it really shouldn't be that way. Um, it, it can become a burden on everyone. So that's really good. Well, Roz, we're going to keep this sharp and, and punchy. So I'm just turning from you to Jane. Um, Dr. Jane Horan, really appreciate your being able to join us. We've actually collaborated before on another project. So it's really nice to see you coming back into my life here um, to talk with you today. Um, I'm curious, can you just talk us through the, I guess, the methodology that you're using, the survey, what data has come through and what your role is going to be in all of this? Yoda. Um, kia ora koutou. and thanks Stephen for that introduction. Yes, it is lovely to be working with you again. And uh, so thank you to everybody for being here. Okay, so we, uh, Community Networks Aotearoa is currently running a survey. And we're that's one of the reasons why we're having this webinar today to sort of uh, encourage people to sort of contribute to that. And on that survey, you can talk about your relationship that you're having with your banks, the pain points that you've experienced, as well as the good things that are happening as well. Because some organizations do have good relationships with the banks, which of course ultimately means that they can get on and do their impact, their mahi. So we're running the survey. I'm going to be, I'm in the process of uh, collating all of that data and extracting the themes, which I'll talk about in a moment. And then we are going to, in the survey, people can opt in to be interviewed if they want to. So uh, we're going to select around 20 organizations to sort of more or less do case studies on them to get a, so I'll interview them and get a bit more granular detail about what their issues are and what their experience is as they, 
access and use banking services. So I'm looking at the context of their banking relationship. Then we're going to do a, uh, we're also doing a number of stakeholder interviews, which are with people who have some overview of the for-purpose sector and banking and their and their banking needs. Also people who are connected to the AML CFT um, legislation in some way, either creating it or enforcing it or can comment on it in some way. And we'd also like to uh, speak with the banks or and bring banks along through the process. So we're just working out how to do that. And um, Ros is on top of that. So that's the, the basic methodology that we're using at the moment. Great. Thank you. That's really good. So, Roz, maybe you can give us a little bit more background in terms of the what's been done so far or who you've been speaking to. Um, you, you've kind of given us an outline on some of the people who are supporting it. But, yeah, what are some of the other steps just to give a bit of context? We've been sorry. We've been working on this for a while, and we've done quite a few things. So um, bear with me while I tell you some stuff. First thing was when we looked at the AML legislation, we found out that they were in the process of reviewing it. We were not aware that had not gone across the horizon to us. And it's interesting that when Jane reviewed all the submissions to the AML, there weren't any submissions that we could see from NGOs. That would be right, Jane. Yeah, the, yeah. The, that, that was what it looked like, but it, you couldn't always see because because some people were anonymized. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But as far as we could see, there were none from NGOs. And so it, the time for submissions to that review of the Act was over. So we rang the Ministry of Justice and asked if we could make a verbal submission, could we talk to them directly? And they were really keen. And we had maybe a, a two-hour meeting with them. And um, when we talked about some of the issues, and um, Jane will later talk about some of the main issues that we've found people are having, when we started bringing those up, uh, they were going, yes, yes, we actually know about this. Um, the senior policy guy said, I'm the chair of my son's soccer group, and we're having problems. And we realised that it's not just NGOs, actually, um, it's people across the board are having problems with this. And so many people out in our society are actually working on boards and in their favourite NGOs or contributing in some way and, and dealing with these issues. Um, so after we had had our conversation, um, if I skip a bit, I'll say that what they said to us was that they could make recommendations to the Minister of Justice but they could make absolutely no guarantees that the minister would pick up any of those recommendations and put it through as an act or as amendments to the bill. So we thought we need to see the Minister of Justice. So we tried very hard to see the Minister of Justice. To start with, it was Chris Farfoy. He declined us twice and uh, then he resigned. So we went, oh, of course he couldn't see us. He was on the way out the door and he probably didn't want to take on any more work. And then Kiri Allen is now the Minister of Justice and she has also declined to see us. The reason why we wanted to see the Minister of Justice is to say these amendments, we know that amendments, we didn't know what they were at the time, are going to be coming on your desk and we just want to give you the NGO point of view of the unintended consequences of some of this legislation. Uh, but she wouldn't see us, so we thought, well, it doesn't stop us seeing other people. So we've been to see um, Minister Cepoloni, the Minister of Social Development, and we went to see Melissa Lee, who's a national MP, Jan Logie in the Greens, Elizabeth Kerikeri in the Greens, um, and all of them said that... Um, they had experienced people coming through their electorate doors saying, what are you going to do about this? We can't get access to our uh, bank account or we're having problems changing signatories or all the different issues that Jane's going to talk about briefly soon. Uh, we then talked to the Banking Association who, and said, if nothing else, because all the different banks have different interpretations and their policies come down from their boards, their senior boards, and their senior boards are the ones who are very risk averse, and so they should be. But they, we said, can't you all get together and decide on um, one banking interpretation of this so at least we don't have to try and find who are the good banks and who are the bad banks 
and who are the ones you know who work with us and who are the ones who make life worse for us and they said they couldn't because they would be accused of anti-competitive behavior and that they would get a hit with um, the Commerce Commission basically accusing them of anti-competitive behavior if they got together to talk about it so of course we went to see the Commerce Commission and the Commerce Commission said actually they can get together and talk about this they just have to apply to us for special dispensation if it's not directly to do with money if it's to do with something like interpretation of an act we could give them permission to do that so we haven't got back to them but we thought maybe we could organize a meeting and um and get that permission ourselves who knows we could try um we also went to see um the banking ombudsman because we felt that it was really important to talk to her about what many of our members were dealing with. And she knew it all before we walked in the door. She knew everything that we had to say to her, she already knew. The thing with the banking ombudsman is they tend to deal with individual problems rather than organisational problems. But she has asked us to share a message saying if anyone here working in an NGO has a problem as an individual with how they operate their banking account on behalf of their organisation, make an official complaint, first of all, to the bank, make it clear it's an official complaint and then if you get no joy from that please take your problems to the banking ombudsman she will be looking out for them so that's another message that we got another thing that she suggested when we finished the survey was that we could rank the banks um, if the banks are all different then we could at the end of our research probably be able to say which are the banks that are best for our sector and which are the banks that are the most difficult to deal with uh, we've yet to think about that. Um, hopefully, if we can work with the banks, we wouldn't get into that situation. Um, we went to see the Ministry of Commerce. Oh, yep. And then we went to see the Reserve Bank. So we've been had meetings with the Reserve Bank, and they were extremely interested. We were only expecting to have a meeting with one person, and we got four of them. We got the head of the AML work, does uh, all the uh, work on AML at Reserve Bank. We got um, the head of, what's that other one, Jane, that he was, Kofka? The Future of Money and Kofka, the, um, um, yeah, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, I'm afraid. But it doesn't matter the, the name. Future, yeah, future, future of Money as well, the guy who is interested in how cash is evolving in our society. So. Yeah, and they were extremely interested in any examples where um, our research might show that organisations have been effectively debanked. And I can tell you that we have examples of where organisations have not basically been able to operate because they haven't been able to get them to their bank account for a matter of months for one reason or another. They are keeping a close eye on what we're doing and want us to get back to them with any research that we come up with. We've asked to see Treasury. They declined currently but said they're very aware of the issues. They've heard a lot about it from other sources. So they want to stay in touch, but they, um, at the moment, in a year two, you know, Treasury's really busy. So, um, but, you know, it's no big deal, but they do want to stay in touch with us and they want us to keep them updated. And um, in the middle of all this, the Ministry of Justice amendments came out in a report. And we were thrilled to see that quite a lot of the amendments were things that we suggested they might look at, like um, looking at the unintended consequences of perhaps what we call extreme bank interpretations. So um, we've still got a bunch of people to see, but, but we've been busy traipsing around all these places, talking to all these people, and there's a great interest from government, departments, and organisations, as well as our funders in what's happening. Jane? So just to add a little bit about the um, the review. So the review is over. The report was made public. It was published in July, made public in beginning of November. So uh, the review is over and the report is in, but the conversation is continuing. So we're hoping that this research will add to that conversation and give visibility to the issues that for purpose organizations are encountering when they use and access banking services 
but also the importance, as Ros said, the importance of the, se of the sector in Aotearoa, New Zealand's economy and society, because actually they work together. And this is about wellbeing stuff. Your organisations do incredible mahi across the, uh, the, the sort of the foundation of New Zealand society. So the biggest issue that was identified in the report was that the Act does not take, and this is a quote, that the Act does not take a sufficiently risk-based approach. So this is the interpretation of what risk is and how that works out. And sometimes banks have to, perhaps there's an argument for saying that they have to take the stance they do. So there's all of these issues coming out in the, in, in the report. So these unintended consequences are playing out. So this research will give visibility to those issues. So, Jane, and just to pick up on what Roz was saying, like uh, the reason I asked the question is I think it's really good to know what's been done because sometimes I see initiatives and I get a lot of people coming across my path who say, oh, we should do this or that. And you ask them questions and actually they've taken no steps, nothing has happened. But, you know, just running through the list of people that you've reached out to, the government departments, like you're approaching this in a methodical, serious way. So I want to tautoko and support what you're doing there. I think it's really important that everyone knows that that's happening. Um, and also, I think sometimes we think that there's not the ability to change, you know, that that if things are set the way they are, it is the way it is. But one thing I'm learning more and more is that it needs people to speak up. You know, it, it, we have to actually make our voices heard. And the fact that you're getting resonating comments from people in authority saying, oh, well, I've experienced this myself, shows that you've hit on something that is a concern. So I think that's going to be the interesting thing when you get the survey results to be able to come through and say, well, actually, here's some change that there could be. Um, Jane, uh, oh, I see it looks like Patty's just put in the link to the report. I'm not sure if that's going to be cookable, but <laughs> um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We can always send it around in an email afterwards as well, because I'm sure people will be interested in it. So maybe, Jane, I'm just curious, because we've got a wide variety of here who are listening and who will watch this video later. Like, if we're thinking about the approach or how you want to deal with banks, can you just talk in terms of the research, like the methodology, and what is it that you're hoping is going to come from this, you know, at the end result, what is it going to lead to? What's the attitude going to be when it comes to talking with banks? So first of all, I'll, I'll just make a comment about the methodology, and then I'll throw it over to Roz to speak more to that. So the methodology is designed to for breadth as well as depth. I'm an economic anthropologist, so I'm... Uh, suited, I guess, to, to creating breadth and depth in the, in the research process. So the survey gives us a lot of different perspectives, and then the, the finer grained detail that we'll get through the interviews gives us sort of more granular detail that we can kind of collate and analyze and work up with. Um, Ros mentioned before that what we want is a win-win. So Ros, maybe you speak more about that. Well, we don't see a lot of point about um, uh, getting into a fight with banks. It's not about um, the banks and how they are operating so much as how they're directed to operate in the legislative requirements of, that are coming out. And um, also remembering that quite a lot of our biggest banks are based um, and have their head offices in Australia and Australia themselves have their own legislative requirements under the AML. So, um, and also remembering that signing up to international agreements like the AML uh, actually directly affects money flow between countries, and it also can affect your import and exports. So it's something that everyone's going to be a bit wary of, and the banks definitely don't want to be responsible for any kind of uh, event happening that affects that between their countries and other countries. Just reading um, Christina. <laughs> uh, so, but we reckon um, if the banks are prepared to be open to discussion, we can find ways that we can use as workarounds. If we can get a meeting where all the banks decide on the same interpretation, that's a good start. Um, Thanks, Lana. Um, if we can um, talk to the banks about what is actually happening 
and how what they are doing and how they're interpreting the act is actually affecting the business of NGOs. And let's face it, if you're an NGO and you can't access your money, philanthropy also get really annoyed because they will give you money and it goes into your bank account. Your funder's money goes into a bank account. So if um, you can't access your money, then the money go round that occurs through GDP is going to change. So I think we need to be aware and the banks need to be aware of how much the community and voluntary and the for-purpose sector are actually contributing in billions of dollars to GDP. And if that money around gets squished or hurt or changed, it could actually affect the GDP of the country. And that sounds kind of big and unlikely and perhaps a bit unrealistic, but actually it's not. And this is also coming up at a particular time when the banks have been criticized for their excess of profits. And this is also coming out at a time when um, the deputy governor of the Reserve Bank is talking about um, open banking where people can move accounts more easily. So we're, we're chugging along in the middle of all that, swirling around us. So let's sit down with the banks and say, there are ways that you can work that actually will help you as well as us. And let's find those ways. Let's talk about it. Um, and, you know, without getting defensive or upset or um, thinking that we're attacking them. We don't want to attack the banks. We want to work with them. Is that what you wanted me to say, Jane? That's what we've been talking about. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, So this is a we want a win-win because at the end of the day, we want money to move so that your organisations can do your impact or your mahi. So maybe it's a time to talk about the issues that are coming through on the data so far. So I'll um, so these are the headings of the issues that are coming through at the moment through the survey data. So these are interconnected, of course, and the stories underneath these are varied and often quite complex. So one of the major issues that's coming through pretty much in every second or third sort of submission to the survey is issues to do with signatories, including difficulties removing and adding trustees and or officers. So this can be about when a trustee dies or somebody moves on or so the issues around uh, changing that in terms of, of um, so that banking services can remain being supplied. Also, another issue that keeps coming up is banking staff not knowing how to do the banking services that not-for-profits require. So there are real inconsistencies between bank branches, between different banks, but also between individual um, personnel within banks as well. So one person says this, another person says that, for example. Um, a number of organizations have said that there's, it's a real issue that there's no one point of contact for not-for-profit organizations in, in their individual branch or in a bank as a whole. So there are many organizations are having difficulties accessing funds and bank accounts that they've already established, effectively leading at times to debanking. So they, they lose access to their bank accounts. Other organizations are having um, issues opening new bank accounts. A number of organizations are having issues with online banking. So this is about accessing online banking, going from view only to being able to use online banking, as well as issues to do with statements as well. Others are having issues with accessing term deposits, um, others shifting banks. So there's also a number of issues to do with cash. So this is including access to cash for COHA, for example, one organization needed some for a COHA for a funeral. They just couldn't, it was so difficult to get hold of it. Other organizations are having trouble actually depositing cash after they've done a fundraiser, which is really difficult. Um, this stems from, uh, issues around no longer having checks and also getting to branches. So if you need to change trustees, you've all got to be there in the live and sign in front, et cetera, et cetera. Others are having um, issues around accessing temporary merchant numbers because if you want to hire an FPOS machine, for example, you need a temporary merchant number. Um, others have, there are issues around where the bank specifically says, oh, we can't do this because of anti-money laundering, countering of financing of terrorism laws, et cetera, et cetera. So sometimes that gets evoked. So it's interesting to look at how that narrative 
um, gets used in banks or, or appears in banks under certain circumstances. Other organisations that have gone through the rigmarole of getting credit cards or FPOS cards, and not all organisations will be like that, but once they get it, then they then have issues with using them. They often get frozen or whatever. So those are issues. There are a series of organisations that offer mentoring services. These are organisations that are one version or another of a charitable of, of a charitable organisation, and they're not able to do their work, i.e. give mentoring services to people and help people do their own banking because banks... Is anyone else having trouble hearing Jane? Um, no, she's coming through for me fine. I have a feeling it might be your connection, okay. Rose, because you were skipping a little bit. No problem, bit. I'm just checking. Thank you. Yeah, okay, yeah. good. Keep going, okay. Jane. It's fine. Um, and then there's we're also getting some interesting data on what complaints processes people are using. So through banks, nobody to date has gone through the banking ombudsman, but how people are using complaints processes through the banks and how much joy or not, as the case may be, they're getting through that. And then there's another part of the survey that's saying, well, what do you think you need? So there's some interesting data coming through on that. So that's the story so far. And we're only really at the beginning of the process. So um, uh, some interesting themes are emerging. And can I add to the signatures thing? Um, people are having trouble removing signatories. Um, if somebody leaves your organisation and you can't contact them, you try and get their name off as a signatory in your bank account, it's almost impossible. And we've even got stories of uh, people who um, uh, can't remove people who have died of their signatories and the banks won't even accept death certificates. It's, um, it's unbelievable um, how difficult it is with signatures as well. The banks just don't want to do anything about that and that's something I'm sure they could do something about. Mm. Well, these are all great examples. And I think one of the reasons for the call is to get people to go and fill in the survey and so that we can gather more examples. So um, this is great in the chat. It's very active here. I like it. There's a lot of good comments coming through, a lot of offers of contact this or that. What about this? We'll come back to some of these at the end of the call. So keep putting in your chat comments. Um, but I did put a link to the survey at the start as well. So Sophie, maybe you can copy paste that in so that it continues to stay linking because people might want to click and they could just start filling it in. It's easy to do. Um, so that's just a reminder. I think for me, one of the interesting things underlying what we're talking about here, because those are specific examples, but there's also almost a foundational attitude towards this sector, which might be underlying why there's issues and that would be really interesting as you're having your conversations because I mean we have some people from banks on this call and they're volunteering to connect and things and I think you're going to be able to gather people in the room but it strikes me that one of the things is just reminding people of how important this sector is and the fact that it isn't necessarily just about the numbers and the dollars it's also about a greater impact. And what I mean by that is, it's an example that is past now, but um, checks. And the fact that up until relatively recently, you could write a check, right? And, and that was just a normal way of life. And now they, there are no checks. And I think from a bank's perspective, I can totally understand it. Like the admin involved in checks and the physical processing, but what you kind of forget when you think about checks, and this is just one example, is that for some people who aren't so familiar with internet access and aren't so familiar with logging in to make a transfer, the physical act of writing a check, putting it in an envelope, walking to the post office and posting it was actually like an emotional connection with the charity that they were supporting. So there's like there's underlying things that sometimes go on in this sector, which the banks need to also be aware of. It's not just about accounts. It's also about the other things which are going on. Um, so I'm hopeful anyway, that when you're having these discussions, you can have those discussions as well, because these are examples, but there's foundationally how do banks view these sorts of entities? 
those are just some of my thoughts. <laughs> um, Jane, was there anything else you wanted to say? And you mentioned, you know, being an economic anthropologist. And as you know, I really want to have you on the podcast I do called Seeds because I want to understand economic anthropology. But the rigor that you're bringing there, um, can you just explain maybe what it is that you're, you know, what you're doing and what the background is to why you're the right person to do this? Okay. Um, so economic anthropology is different from uh, standard economic research, basically because an economic anthropologist leads from the perspective, works with the perspective that e economy is fundamentally about human beings. Now, that seems like a ridiculous sort of differentiation to make, but actually that is a real thing. And that, so when we leap from, from my perspective as a researcher, leading with that, and this is where the whole well-being and the living standards framework issue a reality that's sort of trying to gain, gain gain traction here in New Zealand brings us together with the sector because the sector is sort of foundational to that really so we can take a I can take a much more holistic perspective and a broader view of how this all works in order to bring that rigor whilst bringing rigor to the research and allowing I can connect dots across a whole spectrum I guess is what what I'm I'm saying here. So it's useful to be an economic anthropologist to do research like that for this reason. That's great. Thank you. And um, Roz, we've had a couple of comments here. I might turn to them in a minute. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to cover though before we get into that? Um, some of the issues that people are bringing up, um, I think have been also covered by CAB. So um, I was just having a bit of a listening with one ear and scrolling through the comments with another at that point. And one of the big issues that's coming up is um, when banks close branches um, in small areas, it actually means when they apply the AML, AML rules that people actually have to travel sometimes for miles to find a branch where they can all gather. And then that means people have to take off time off work and then that also means that they could get to the branch. It might be a branch that's only open for a few hours a day. And add to that, quite a lot of those short time branches won't allow you to make appointments. So you could get there after traveling for hours and taking time off work and not be able to get into the branch to do your work. So there's got to be easier ways. And we have actually talked to Westpac about, you know, some of the other things that banks could do to enable people to get access. But that's all about um, digital exclusion. And I will say uh, that's the sort of thing COB would be really interested in knowing about. But we will also bring these things up. So if you have stories like that that might not fit directly into our survey, please feel free to email us so that we have those on tap as well. And you can send an email to me at eo at communitynetworksaotearoa.org.nz and I'll get Patty to put that up in the chat so that you know um, because the the survey is very much around having specific problems that are outside of access and digital access like how you get to your bank how do you get your petty cash and i'll just add another thing is that there's some people talking about problems with credit cards and debit cards the majority of us don't have credit cards and debit cards a lot of people do but a lot don't. And the reason for that is the requirement in their constitution that they have double signatories. If you have a double signatory, you have to go around a very specific route to allow your staff to actually have a debit card, which is a single signatory. So um, that needs to be taken into account, even though debits and credit cards are more used in our sector now than used to be, a lot of the very small guys and guys in small towns and rural areas simply don't feel that they are able to and could get crit critiqued when they get their financial reviews for um, doing anything that doesn't have a double signatory and payments. Mm. Well, those are great points. Thank you for raising them. Yeah, I think you're right. There's there's some practical side of this as well, isn't there? If, yes. if, banks are, if, if branches are closing, how do you actually physically access? Um, well, why don't we turn to a couple of questions in the chat? And there's two people who've put some comments and Liz has highlighted them. Um, so Craig is somebody that should definitely be on your list to chat to, Jane, because he's got a wealth of experience overseas. 
Um, and I can introduce you separately because I know him fairly well. And also Sid is somebody from overseas. He doesn't live in New Zealand yet, um, but he's on his way here. And he has a lot of experience back in India and in, in Southeast Asia. So he's also put a similar comment. And the comment is um, just asking about alternatives to traditional banks. Um, and they, they both of them are talking about what about community banking or microfinance working? Is there any alternatives? Um, any thoughts on that? I've got some yeah. thoughts. Oh, yeah, go. go. You go, Jane. <laughs> um, I'll, just, I'll just make a quick comment about that. So Ros mentioned before the um, uh, assistant governor of the of the Reserve Bank talking about open banking. So she sort of basically gave a challenge to the traditional banking sector to say, well, come on, ramp up your digital sort of your fintech. Let's get this moving so that people have more options. There's certainly a lot of activity overseas with peer-to-peer -peer lending, for example, that are cut, effectively cutting out traditional banks and allowing movement of money so individuals and in our case, organizations can just get on and do their work. So there is stuff going on overseas, and I'm, that's part of the research process. I'll be looking at that, and I'm already accessing literature. There are also other economic anthropologists elsewhere in the world working in banking, and I'm keyed into those networks as well. Over to you, Roz. And just a, a quick comment is that in our constitution, and I don't know how many organizations have this in the constitution, money is only allowed to be invested in um, uh, traditional gold star, whatever the word is, uh, banks. Um, so if anything was seen as a bit not secure or stable as a traditional bank for us, unless we change our constitution, uh, we can't use that. So I don't know how many organizations have that kind of a rule. It's not a bad rule because as we are continuously reminded by government, we're using taxpayers' money, many of us, those of us that are funded from government. And I think government has some rules around that as well, how you how you store that money. So it's, it's something to look at, but it's another little hurdle to get over if we wanted to do it. Hmm. No, that's really helpful, though. Thank you. Yeah, it's definitely something that organisations need to always be revisiting is their rules. Because sometimes mm -hmm. there are self-imposed requirements, which were they were applicable in 1987 or 1952 when they were written, but actually it's no longer keeping up with modern times and, and the way things actually are done. So yeah, that's speaking as a lawyer, helping organizations. That's something we often do is like, you really need to refresh your rules because you're not, first of all, you're not even complying with the rules and what they say. And secondly, it potentially invalidates the things that you're doing. So yeah, it's a it's a great point. Um, cool. Well, are there, Jane and Raza, is there anything else you wanted to say um, just it, before we look and see if there's any questions in the chat? Anything else? Yep, yep. I, I just want to say, if you know any of these MPs who won't see us, will you tell them to see us, please? And <laughs> you just don't know. Someone somewhere might have a, 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 the ability to say, I think you should talk to these people. Um, and secondly, just really push. We need you to put your experiences onto our survey because without good research, how can we back up the things that we're saying? We need the research to back that up. If we don't get the research to back it up, we're just talking in the wind. And so please, if you have anything, and I see people here that I've seen uh, have added things into the um, into the survey. So thank you to those who have done it. And um, That's great. And I'll just add to that. So the, the, re the survey and the research are all confidential. So, uh, and we're, we're, we're really rigorous around that. So um, be rest assured around that. So that's, um, I didn't mention that before, but that's a really important point. And there's another thing too, and that is if you put some information into the survey, it's not only confidential, but if Jane um, contacts you and asks if she can interview you and you go, yes, and then you change your mind, you can back out at any time of that interview. So we're very, um, Jane's done the full ethics work on this 
That, that's awesome. And the timing of it, can you remind us how long will the survey be open or what are your thinking around timing and in the coming weeks and months? Jane, have you got any thoughts on that? Uh, we'll run it through at least till the end of January, maybe, maybe end of February. We'll just see how we're going. Um, that's my thoughts anyway. So let's let's work with end of February at this stage. So we'll probably have our research out mid-year next year once Jane's looked at everything and gone insane. <laughs> that's great. And can I just encourage, like we've got about 50 people on this call now. I know about another 40 people or so signed up. So if you're listening to this and if you're willing, we'll be sending out a follow-up email which has a link to this recording and we'll be sending out a link to the survey. Would you be willing to forward it to someone else <laughs> who you think would be interested and ask them to forward it to somebody else and ask them to forward it? You get how it works. These types of things, there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes but it really needs action from individuals to be able to advance the discussion and get more input and more, more connections. And um, equally, if you feel like it, use LinkedIn, Facebook, social media, like that's a way to spread the word that this is going on and to allow voices to be heard, which I love democracy. I love the fact that we live in a country where we can actually speak up freely. We can tell people our opinions and our views and, these are the moments when I think it counts because, yeah, if you look at the tens of thousands of organizations out there who are probably all able to tell a story, um, I don't think we want all of them, do we, Jane? You'll be busy for decades to come, but <laughs> you get the point. <laughs> numbers so, would be good, though. So more numbers on the survey would be good. So yeah, it, it adds legitimacy. If you can say we surveyed X many people. Um, or heard from this many organizations, that's just going to add so much more credibility yeah. than just saying, well, here's a couple things that we heard when we were having coffee down the hall. You know, it's let's let's take it to the next level. And and this this meeting and, and getting the word out is a chance to do that. Um, yeah, it's really good. So, yeah, Community Networks Aotearoa, thank you for taking the lead in this and all the people behind you who are supporting it. Um, I'd like to just acknowledge, if I may, Stephen, yeah. very briefly, Andrew Lilburn, Mark Allen and Liz Davies, who I can see here in front of me, who are part of my subcommittee. So, guys, I'm doing the work. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Those are great people to have supporting. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, there's a couple of good comments here in the um in the chat, I thought this one was really good from Memo. He says, relationship banking models, processes and practices can help balance out and smooth out some of the themes highlighted by Roz and Jane, humanize what has become invisible and restrictive. So that was quite a nice way. There you go, Jane, maybe there's a quote you can, um, mm -hmm. but because, and that comes back to my little story about the checks, you know, like it, it, it how do we humanize it again? How do we recognize the human emotions involved in all of this rather than just viewing it as a transaction? Um, so that's a really helpful comment. And there's a bunch of others here as well. I think, um, yeah, Tracy said, based on my experience, some of the issues is not having correct documentation at the beginning. For example, rule changes aren't signed or they're not filed or things like that. So that's a good point as well. Um, was there anything else there, Jane, that you wanted to, or, or Roz, that you wanted to draw out of the comments? Someone's put here, Erica said the banking ombudsman scheme is able to help with complaints. Yeah. Um, so just bear Erica that in mind. Erica works there, so she knows this stuff. Yep, that's great. <laughs> Very helpful, Erica. I'd just like to say, Ree, the, um, the issue from Tracy about people not being prepared, that's quite true. But also we find that there's no direct, hardly any banks have got any kind of brochures going, step one, do this, make sure of this. Step two, do this, make sure of this. So people actually don't know before they go in what they actually have to get. And we have asked Westpac, would they print out brochures so that people can pick it up and follow the steps so that they don't have to go back and back and back and back and back. And they said they would, but that was months ago and I haven't seen them since mm. then. But um, if people knew what was needed of them first, that would be really good. 
Yeah, make it simple, easy to understand. Here's what we'll require. Here's what you must bring. If you don't have it, then yeah. I think actually, if I was oh, in, a, it would be really. Yeah, go sorry. ahead. It'd be really good if the bank staff knew the difference between charity services and the company's office too. Because so many bank staff go off to the company's office, and this happened to us, and then got back to us a week later and said, we can't process your changes because you haven't put your change of um, haven't put your change of uh, uh, offices into the company's office. And I went, well, we're a charity, so we're required now. We put them through to the charities, and that's been a change in the law. And they went, okay. A week later, they rang us again and said, we've just checked the company's office again, and uh, you haven't put your annual report into the company's office for five years. And I said, it's because we're a charity. We don't have to. <laughs> but they had no idea. She even went to a senior manager. No idea not being trained well enough and that's on the senior bank officials who need to ensure that staff training is up to date and that they have some place to go to get the right information so just sorry yeah. interrupting there with a little oh no cry for that's help a, on that it's a great thing <laughs> and i think angela's put something which is really relevant saying sometimes banks don't know what's needed <laughs> which is i think the point that you're making is that yeah, it's it's really true. I actually, if I was in a bank, and if any of the banks are on the line still, what I would be doing is viewing this as an amazing opportunity, because if any bank was willing to step up to the plate and make it simple and have step-by-step -step guides and have staff who understand it, and you could get that reputation, we like... Yeah, well, but think about it, like the charities and things, let's say there's seven trustees, they all have other lives beyond being a trustee of the charity, you know, maybe they would bring their private wealth across or their, you know, banking, or they have businesses that they run as well. Like, if it's not, it, it, it people view it in isolation, I think sometimes, but I'm on trust where I look around the table and I think, wow, these are amazing people. If we're, if we can be impressed by the services of the bank, we're probably going to go back to that bank. So there's an opportunity there as well. Um, and thank you to AMM says, I've just done the survey. I had no idea this was such a widespread issue. So there you go. At least one person's done the survey as a result of this. <laughs> That's thank you. Great. Cool. Well, I think we're going to finish it up there because we want to keep it nice and sharp. And um, we will put this recording out. Um, yeah, the, the, it will follow up in an email. I am getting on an airplane early morning tomorrow. So I'm going to go edit this now. And I will get that I commit to getting it out. Um, I also do a podcast called Seeds, where I've interviewed 336 inspiring people about their lives. So I'm planning to put the audio of this on Seeds so that it can be heard by a couple hundred people as well. And hopefully this is something that can become a movement. And Roz, you'll get lots of feedback. Jane, you'll be so busy, because we'll get lots of amazing data. And I just encourage everybody on the call, join with us, um, help us to spread the word. We need you. This can't be just one person, one organization. It's got to be a bunch of people all pulling in the same direction. So um, thank you for giving up your time and joining us. We really appreciate it. And we wish you all the best for the upcoming um, summer break as well. And um, look forward to 2023 and seeing the results of this amazing survey. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, everyone. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that session. And if you want to find out more, make sure you click on the link in the show notes so that you can fill in your story about dealing with banks. Until next time.